Hello. It's been a while. I know. Uh, before we get into the actual meat and potatoes of today's topic, you will notice it's just your two most beloved, most brain damaged boys rocking with you on this one. It's me, Jesse, and of course, my dear lover, Chance. What's up, buddy? Oh, not much. You know, being loved, feeling the love. Where is the love? That's right. We Remember have, that song? Yeah, great song. And you know what? It's from a period of time that we're going to kind of talk about today as well. But before we do that, we just want to first off say thank you folks for bearing with us. Uh, our upload schedule has been kind of, you know, uh, not up to maybe what you're used to. That's because last week I was concussed by a child and I just physically <laughs> was unable to record. You were maimed. I was maimed. I, I did receive workers' compensation for it. So that is done. Uh, second thing, we would be remiss if we did not start this episode, Chancellor and I, and only us, because we're the only ones on this episode, will be denouncing the anti-Semitic remarks of Kanye West. Yeah. And the, the silence of our co-hosts who are not here today speaks volumes. So officially... It is, it is damning. Mm-hmm. And we know Megan was the fourth on that Alex Jones interview with Kanye West and Nick Fuentes. She, she was the editor. That's right. She was sitting just off screen. And it's kind of crazy. She did cut out a lot of the worst stuff, but she had to let the rest of it slide. Yeah, she cut out all the parts where she was doing like funny accents and like speaking in patois and stuff. Yeah. But then she left the Kanye West anti-Semitism, which was concerning. But mm-hmm. also I understand her artistic joie de vie mm-hmm. and it's kind of crazy she was doing patois in the first place because if you've seen the interview they're mostly just talking about jewish people and nazis but she yeah, managed to find yeah. a way to get it in there and she was like do you think chet hanks would be jewish yeah. and then she just went off did you know chet hanks is jewish oh wow to quote kanye west the kanye west <laughs> oh wow is oh one wow of- it's a, such a shame because he still has this unbelievable comedic timing, but he is a massive piece of shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. upsetting. He's, he's golden. Like the the George Bush hates black people oh, was man. timed perfectly. <laughs> and Mike Myers just getting yeah. eyes wide and like not saying anything. Also, like two masters of comedic timing. Mike Myers, obviously, you know, he's not really making anything worthwhile anymore, but he still seems mm-hmm. to be a cool guy. Kanye also not making anything worthwhile anymore, but is now a Nazi. And those are his words, not mine. So <laughs> once again, the silence of Megan and Dean is extremely telling, whereas mm-hmm. Chance and I have officially now condemned it. So we do update yes. spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now put that now on a bingo this, card. Yeah. Now that that disclaimer is done, we can start edging our way into the real topic of today's fun little podcast. And this is one that, you know what, is a little lighter because it's a very heavy time. You know, December, everybody's got seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cold. It's dark at like 2 p.m. So we wanted to just have some fun and like slip into the warm bath waters of nostalgia. But we also wanted to do that in our traditional way by looking at things through a can-con lens. Yes. And what we're here's looking today. at you, the CRTC. Mm-hmm. We got you covered. At, Don't worry. I, I love like CRTC. And part of this, like when we did Communist Daughter, we were, I think it's fair to say, kind of surprised by how much we enjoyed it and like how yeah. actually decent it was. It was a good time. And I've gone back and rewatched 
select episodes of some of the things we're going to talk about today and have also been kind of astonished how much better it was than (laughs) I thought. So what we're talking about today is not just one show, not just one network, but rather the twin jewels of Canadian children's programming from a very specific period of time in the late 1990s to the mid 2000s. That's right. We're letting all of my autistic intrusive thoughts win today as we are going to be discussing in kind of a loose fun format, YTV and television. Hell yeah. Honestly, two two absolute goliaths of content. And before we get into the actual, you know, discussion of the programming lineups, Chance, I just wanted to ask you, like, when you were growing up, were you like a satellite kid, a cable kid, or like a bunny ears, just whatever you could pick up kind of kid? So since I grew up in Tainanega on a reserve, uh, the only people who could do like the bunny ears or even like cable were people that were literally stealing TV. <laughs> Beast. Um, <laughs> like Which either from right their neighbors do. or like, so uh, everyone co- who could got satellite just because like uh, that was okay. the way to get the best uh, option of TV shows because otherwise you just couldn't get anything from where I was. No. And that, yeah. and that makes sense. And I actually kind of figured it would have been satellite, just because yeah. where I also live in a rural area and it was like half and half. You either had cable or like if you lived really far north of the community, you had satellite because you just didn't have another option. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Did you did you have satellite growing up? No. So we lived in more of a suburbanized sort of in the grand scheme of things like rural area. So we have like long stretches of like incorporated area and then just like farmland. So mm. we had cable running into every house like on my block uh, we didn't steal cable, but my friends would steal cable, which was so sick because they is get, awesome. Like, the pay per view channels and everything. Yep. So oh we had man, cable. I I watched so much wrestling. Oh yeah, and and like Cartoon Network and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it was great. Uh, so I was, was yeah, I was a cable kid. You were a satellite kid. Now delving deeper into it, were you a YTV kid, a Teletoon kid, like a TVO kid, a Fox Kids kid? What, what was so, your kind of poison of choice? I really my my absolute favorite when I was much younger was YTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then as soon as they started slowly moving away from like creating new shows and just kind of mm. started rerunning a lot of things, um, I moved towards what was it called? The Family Channel. I watched The Family Channel. A oh, lot. So yeah. I, I didn't even have access to that, so I I have like no knowledge of the programming lineup there. Yeah, it That's was like it was like a lot of smart guy reruns. And um, like, oh, what is the Proud Family? Oh, okay. Proud Family does slap, yeah. I will say. Yeah, yeah. I have seen that one. Yeah, that show was really good. Uh, So, yeah, or The Weekenders. That was another one. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, it, uh, other than that, though, it, there was also like an old, like a retro Cartoon Network channel at yes. some point. And uh, so I would watch that a lot because my dad's favorite was always like the Looney Tunes stuff. So, okay, this is perfect. So you and I kind of a similar where like as a kid, I was super into YTV Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about kind of why with the programming lineup a little bit later on, but rather than gravitating towards, yeah, like the family network or whatever, once I got past a certain age, I was mostly just rocking with like Teletoon because they had the late night programming, which was adult oriented, but also they had Teletoon Retro where they had all the old cartoons and my favorite one that would literally make 
make me laugh every single time was the Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looney I, Tunes was fantastic. I don't think people understand nowadays how great and like groundbreaking Looney Tunes was when it was on for its first run. Like, yeah. And yes, obviously there are going to be things that have not aged as well. <laughs> you could say that. But by and large, like it's excellent programming and it's still like Bugs Bunny, all time fucking G. So mm-hmm. yeah. I had what I called the Golden Triangle as a kid where you could watch YTV, usually in the afternoon, Teletoon at night, and then Fox Kids on the weekend because our cable package got programming from like upstate New York area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I would get the American feed of like Fox Kids. That's where I saw all those Everest college commercials about the black guy with like the sideways hat. <laughs> I always saw those. Couch. I always saw those because my dad also loves Judge Judy. And yeah. those, those, uh, they targeted those types of advertisements oh, yeah. for that type of TV show. <laughs> it was that and Salino and Barnes who were ambulance chasers. Yeah. Or, or the, uh, eight seven seven cash now. Oh man, JG Wentworth. Yeah, JG Wentworth. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, like my daily schedule would look like this. And because remember, like extremely autistic when it comes to media, but like especially from this period of time, mm-hmm. I wake up because, and I'm talking like age, let's say eight to ten, somewhere yeah. in that period. So like 2002, 2004 ish. I'd wake up. I would immediately tune into on my television channel 26, which was the score, which explains a lot about my sports fascination and my other (laughs) broadcasting pursuits. I did hit a lot of TSN in the morning. And you see, for me, TSN kind of like Teletoon was like the older sports programming because it wasn't as like the score was such quick highlight packages with like (laughs) guys in their mid 20s. So it felt much more like cutting edge. They would have like all these like, yeah. Like, and all these jokes that were like not as corny. Mm-hmm. So I'd watch the score. I would then usually tune in to UPN. So channel 25, which mm-hmm. early in the morning would have uh, reruns of like just whatever random cartoon. Then I'd watch YTV for a bit. Then I'd go on the bus. I'd come home. I'd watch channel 38 Fox to watch Maury, which <laughs> yes, really should not you be gotta, watching. You have to watch it. <laughs> and then like there would also be cartoons on in the afternoon and then I'd watch Teletoon at night. So we will, I just have so many powerful memories. And then yeah. what was the other question I wanted to pose to you? Ah, do you have any like specific nostalgic memories? Let's, do YTV or Teletoon specifically because that's what we're talking about today. Right, right. Um, so with YTV, I do have a specific memory, which is my first introduction to anime. Ooh, um, yeah. But I wouldn't even call Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z my first introduction because I didn't mm. really know that that was like a style of show, right? Because okay. it was like the only thing I had seen. So I was like, oh, this is in my small, mushy brain. It's like, oh, this is just how this show looks. And it wasn't until I saw Inuyasha for the first time. (laughs) And I was like, oh, shit, there's like a theme going on here. There's so much of this stuff out there. It was literally Inuyasha broke the broke the seal for me. And I think that's a big one because that was a big one for me as well. I wouldn't say it was my first, but I do like I did not. I still have issues sleeping, but like as a kid, it was really bad and from like 2004 to like 2007 i just like wouldn't sleep hardly at all Mm -hmm. and i would always be watching like 2 a.m reruns like yeah yeah yeah. of course fries um, with that and uh shaman king that was another one so that one was fox because i remember just a quick digression shaman king the one season that came to the u.s in Canada ended on a cliffhanger and it was like the hypest cliffhanger ever. They aired a promo for season two and then never played season two. No way. Okay. (laughs) So 
in my brain, I watched a lot of this show, but it's really funny that it was only one season. It was literally one season. Um, they were like building towards this like big tournament of power at like yeah. season arc, and then it just never happened in the US. I guess I guess there was also other anime that I did watch, but again, it wasn't until Inuyasha that I realized what it was. Like mm-hmm. I, I had watched um like Beyblade as well and like Digimon and stuff like that. But it was Inuyasha that I was like it, it made me realize that there was a genre, like that there was a theme going on. I probably just to do with like the imagery and the setting, but still it mm-hmm. was, it was definitely blew my mind. Well, now that we've kind of tiptoed around it, let's just jump right in. And I'm going to start us off with YTV because yeah. I think YTV started with such great promise and this real commitment to like creating a lot of like a really original Canadian content. And then over time, well, I've got it. We can kind of track how things shifted and changed, but let's just talk about YTV in general. So basically long before YTV was YTV, it was licensed by CRTC in 1987 as a part of like Rogers cable following year, September, 1988, they actually have a very special launch party for YTV. So they hold this big shindig on the air and who hosts it? But John Candy himself. What? what? Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So John Candy was on like the first ever kind of like uh, YTV programming when they had this like introduction to it. And it was just this pitch. This this big thing. YTV, youth TV. It was explicitly designed to kind of appeal to at the time that two to 11 year old kind of target branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, it wouldn't be until like 1991 that we'd see much in terms of like original programming coming out. A lot of it was just kind of whatever syndicated cartoons they could get from other stations. But 1991, yeah. we get the launch of one of the longest running programs. And you know it well, mm-hmm. Video and Arcade Top 10. I love that show. I watched that show so much. It was crazy. They would give you like tips on how to uh, do like certain cheats and stuff like that mm-hmm. in video games. And it was always for games I never owned, but I didn't care. Like, I just loved the idea of cheating in games. <laughs> I just, I was always like, I just like the flashing colors you had. Honestly, a man who in my mind reminds me of Guy Fieri, which is Nicholas Piccolis, the intrepid host. I don't know. And I think it's because he's kind of like a chubby Italian guy who wore very loud shirts. Yeah. But to Guy's credit, Guy has much more charisma than Nicholas Piccolis ever had, but he is still. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't very uh, no. interesting, but he was uh, he was there. He was certainly like, there. And I was young, so I didn't care, you know? Exactly. So Video and Arcade Top 10 ran for an astonishing 15 years. Jesus Christ. There are something like 700 episodes or something and if, insane. And if, you don't, and if you don't know what Video and Arcade Top 10 is, essentially it would be like usually like three or four or five children, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get as far in a video game as they could. And whoever got the farthest usually won something. Yes. So the format was really simple. You'd have like this very like sugar rush opening where it's just bam, down, 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 and like intercut shots of like the game and the studio. And it was filmed in front of like a live studio audience too, which is kind of <laughs> insane to think of. Yeah. And you would just have like three gormless kids, like slack jawed backwards cap, like propeller hat wearing children that would be playing like the newest, hottest release from like Sega. And these kids yeah. have never played these games before. So they would have like a, a split screen, like a split diopter shot, a very De Palma-esque choice, if you would, mm-hmm. where you, you would have the children 
on one side and the video game on the other. And it would actually show them playing it. And yeah. you would just see the children like slack jawed tongues out in concentration playing like, I don't know, SpongeBob bikini bottom blaster or whatever. Yeah. Or just like, like slamming like it to the wall. Donkey Kong 64. Yeah. Like stuff like that. And remember and just like not being very good at it. No, usually they're eight years old and they've never seen these games, especially in like the early nineties when, <laughs> you know, there wasn't exactly like the most, the longest time you could have been playing games at that point is like three years. Yeah. 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 But it was always just, and of course they would, if it was like a, a points game, it would be whoever had the most points. It was a progression game. Whoever had the most progression, it would be the winner, but they also would have like fan entry submissions. You could send an art to the show and they'd feature mm-hmm. it. It was really quite endearing, extremely cheap and easy to make. That's why they made hundreds of episodes. Yeah, there was something about that show. I think it's maybe the very kind of DIY setting and the fact that as a kid, this would be unless you were reading video game magazines, which none of my friends certainly did. The only real exposure you'd have to like gaming content. Remember, this Mm -hmm. predates the Internet by a long time. Yeah. And and the thing with the show, too, is that it also had the very like 90s squiggly line mm-hmm. kind of goopy uh, lots of gray for some reason aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was like like you had said, it was endearing. It was like, oh, you're you're really trying really hard, but it didn't come across as uh, disingenuous because I was literally eight years old. So like, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Now, 1991 is also a big year for another core staple of YTV programming. In fact, one that still exists to this day, The Zone. The Zone still exists? Mm-hmm. What? So The Zone was taking direct inspiration from like much music, where instead yeah. of having VJs, video jockeys, you would have PJs, program jockeys, who would essentially be in interstitials to introduce whatever the next program was. Yeah, and it was awesome. It actually was. And once again, this was like something that evolved and grew over time to the point where the zone had its own like storylines that would go on one of which we'll talk about in just a little bit but as the time went on ytv starting to hit more and more success starts adding more shows to its lineup both animated and live action and that's interesting because teletoon was not a live action network by any means no ytv much more comfortable taking those chances you started seeing shows like you know, for the young kids, big comfy couch, lamb top, yep. lamb chops, playtime. Mm-hmm. But for the older crowd, you got things like, "Are you afraid of the dark?" Hell yeah! You have no idea how excited I was when I was like, I think I was like fourteen or fifteen, and I went into a Chumley's, uh, like a DVD secondhand place, and um, and picked up a copy of a season of "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" And I was so excited. I played that so much. I was like fourteen, fifteen. Like like, mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't think that was cool. It, it was cool. Up. Yeah, and it was awesome. What's interesting is over the last few years, I've seen a lot of people like making videos about Are You Afraid of the Dark that are just and it's like, wow, like, look at this weird show from Canada that was made like 30 years ago. And it's like, it's awesome. It's, my, it's a super cool show. It's way better than it has any right to be. And if you aren't familiar with that one, it's a super simple concept. Every episode starts with a frame narrative of kids around a campfire and they take turns every week telling the scariest story they can. And it could be things like, oh, the ghost of the pool, which was terrifying. It was literally just like a swamp hag ghost. Yeah, in the pool. yeah it was or messed like, up. There's one where a kid feeds a bunch of people to a to a, like a talking voice in his cellar. And it's like it was a surprisingly mm-hmm. dark and like pretty well-made show. Although, unfortunately, I do have tainted memories of it because uh, my high school drama teacher, who is not convicted, 
but is definitely like having sex with students was an actor on it. So, ooh, yeah, yikes, unfortunate. Damn. Now um, I will say. It ran for four oh, years as well. Pretty successful, and like found a little bit of play outside of Canada as well. I want to. I want you. So on here, the next one is Goosebumps. Mm. Yes, which was a fantastic show. And if you look at the time code, it ran kind of contemporaneously with Are You Afraid of the Dark? But Goosebumps, obviously, more of an American production, but mm-hmm. on that YTV block as well. And it's kind of interesting to look at the early success Are You Afraid of the Dark had. Now, don't get me wrong. Goosebumps books had existed prior to the yeah. creation of the TV series. For such I, a long time. Something just tells me that like the success of this live action kind of like horror anthology show for kids definitely played a factor into the Goosebumps series being converted into a television project as well. And there was another one. Like it, it, there was, there were so many of these like horror esque shows for mm-hmm. children because there was also Tales from the Crypt or now whatever. Tales from the Crypt was an HBO one that oh. was for adults, but Tales from the Crypt Keeper was the oh. animated kids spinoff. But Tales from the Crypt was gotcha. also in this like early '90s period, so you had yeah. like the adult version and then the kids version. But they mm-hmm. realized like, oh, there is a growing market for kids that want to consume like slightly more mature and dark horror media which i always yeah. found quite interesting yeah and 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 they did it in a very good very uh smart way because mm-hmm. a lot of the stories are like creepy or gross or like spooky monster e i guess you could say mm-hmm. but they're never like so over the top that like it's yeah scary it doesn't for go kids. too far you know what i mean yeah. like i'm not watching it as an adult and being like oh ah. but like when you're a kid <laughs> it was genuinely spooky mm-hmm. because you don't really have that exposure to those things so it was a really nice way to get kids into it and people who are interested in it right and i certainly think that like a lot of my friends that are into horror movies now certainly owe a bit of a debt of gratitude to shows like are you afraid of the, oh, totally. are you afraid of the dark yeah. and even goosebumps because it, it, it hooked you now there's Definitely two more into it. live action ytv programs i want to talk about one is one that was added in the late 1990s and also became a staple of the network which is of course uh-oh uh-oh such a sick show and I would like to read a bit from the Uh-Oh Wikipedia because there are some insane details on here. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we begin, mm-hmm. um, wasn't his name like Wink the Exterminator? Yahoo. No, no. I'm oh, not talking about... I'm going to talk about who you're referring to in just a second. Okay. Don't okay, you worry. Okay. But I do know <laughs> Wink Yahoo. Insane yes. name, first An of all. An amazing name. Mr. Yahoo, if you're out there and you want to hop on the pod, let me know. Scott Yaffe, please. We would love to have you on here. So, Uh Oh was actually inspired by a parody sketch from the show It's Alive. So, Uh Oh literally began as like, let's look at this ridiculous like children's game show. And of course, closely inspired by Nickelodeon programming. What's the one where they get slime dumped on them? Uh, well, didn't they do that at the, uh, what is it, the Children's, the Kids' Choice Awards or yeah. whatever? Yeah, yeah but there, yeah, was like yeah. A, there was a Nickelodeon show specifically where, oh, what's it called? It was like, it had all kinds of physical challenges and you could get slimed on you. Either way, it's like the parody existed on It's Alive. And then they went, wait, this is actually a pretty sick idea for a children's game show. So they just like turned the sketch into reality, which... I think is very kind of ahead of its time where everything now maybe started as satire and then just became completely sincere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It Uh-oh was super pre- cool. Uh-oh was predictive of where the world would go just 20 short years later. 
so I'd like to read you about some of some of the key characters. Of course, you have Wink Yahoo, played by Scott Yaffe, who is the quote wacky, zany, and extremely enthusiastic host. He wore his hair in a big pompadour and wore all those ridiculous tacky suits. Yeah, and his his demeanor, like how he how he spoke to the audience, was so over the top too. <laughs> it was like ridiculous. he was just yeah, yeah. It was just insane. It was ADHD television at its finest. You had mm-hmm. the slime master who was played for a period of time by This Hour Has 22 Minutes alum, Sean Majumder, which gave me a powerful, like, nostalgia Whoa. blast in and of itself. Yeah. That's a show we should it. actually talk about sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, Chance, the guy you were referring to, and mm. I swear to you, these names I'm about to read are what they were called. The yes. Punisher. The Punisher. Played yes. by, early on, Mike Beaver, which... Okay. All right. The Beaver Punisher. (laughs) So the Punisher was a masked character dating back to It's Alive. However, the Punisher appeared in a somewhat reduced role on Uh Uh-Oh. At the beginning of the show, the Punisher was released from a cage while being booed by the audience and, quote, went on a rampage and would sometimes attack audience members with goo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wink would eventually say, Punisher, control, which I assume was also him, like, turning on the vibrator with the phone app because it would it would then lead the punisher to quote retreat to the slime booth which uh we have one for the podcast that's where we record the slime yeah I have, I'm, I'm in the slime booth right now during commercial breaks the punisher would also mess with the audience he would have a couple of water guns with which to torment them and quote gooey pies Sorry, could you say that again? Yeah, he would have gooey pies, which was one of his favorites during Mm. season five and six, where, quote, Sean Bubba Lux replaces Beaver as the Punisher. Bubba? Yeah. They got Bubba in? Bubba was all about giving gooey pies to the kids. His duties during the game were limited by dragging the spinner's partner to the uh uh-oh booth and pouring goo on them if the spinner's answer to an uh uh-oh question was wrong. He would act disappointed if the spinner answered correctly. In season one, the Punisher would turn the cranks in certain mayhem games. So you had the Punisher, and it's... I just really wanted to read about it because they had a character named the Punisher. Yeah, and, and, and don't forget, for those listening at home, you can Google what the Punisher looks like. It is a gimp suit. <laughs> yeah. He's wearing a gimp suit. Head he's, to toe. He's throwing Leather. pies at children. He's he's sliming kids wearing yeah. a gimp suit. Um and and like a leather collar and like his whole face is covered. Yeah, he's fucked, mm. man. It's like <laughs> He is, the Punisher is like a character from the Punisher comic books that the Punisher would kill. <laughs> so. Yes, everything is there. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very disturbing television show. Uh, I'm just like, I want to become like a QAnon guy for uh-oh. Like, I want to post a picture of the Punisher and create a moral panic. I want to post a picture of the audience and just say, where are these kids now? Yeah. We need to find these children. <laughs> All of these, the Punisher, much like Hillary Clinton, has been executed at Guantanamo Bay for crimes against children. <laughs> the Punisher's kill list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, the they, Punisher's goo list. The Punisher was on trial for six days straight. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of the judges pushed the button at the same time to ensure that no single one could be found responsible for his death. They found the Punisher's email. 
<laughs> secret email server. Yeah. The Punisher and Wink Yahoo are trading emails and it's like, oh, make sure you have enough goo pies for yeah. 10, 12, 2002. I was going to say, so uh, yeah, we're proponents of Slimegate here mm-hmm. and I don't know where the kids are. Have you ever seen a kid from Uh-Oh? I don't know. Where are no. they? You know what? There's actually a team we could use to investigate this. And I'm, of course, referring to the Mystery Hunters. Oh, that show. Okay, I got to stop. Crazy show. Mystery Hunters was perfect because I was too scared to watch. What was the like? What was the really uh, popular uh, ghost hunting show? That was oh. like the British lady, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. it was like paranormal detectives or something. Anyways, yeah, sound sound was. off. Yeah. It was, and um, I was too scared to watch that. That genuinely terrified me. So, Mystery Hunters was perfect, and that's the thing. Mystery Hunters was like it really was this great blend of like completely improbable, ridiculous stuff. A lot of it was like cryptids related. Yeah. And it had your two plucky hosts. And then of course my main man doubting Dave, but it was like, it was good edutainment because you'd have the sensational stupid shit. And then you would have like an actual smart person explain like the natural phenomena related to it. And I just, I have such a soft spot for mystery hunters. It ran from 2002 to 2009, which is a good long period of time. And I know you can find episodes online. So I do recommend mm-hmm. actually checking it out. Like it's, it's held up pretty well. That was a sick show. I loved that show so much. I hope they're so, all doing really well. Me too. Like genuinely, it was, it was awesome. So YTV had this very lucrative and like big live action kind of component to things. But we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the animated programming. Mhm. Cuz this is where this is where YTV went off. Mhm. And it's interesting cuz YTV I think <clears throat> was a little safer in terms of the stuff it put on cuz we'll talk about Teletoon and how weird it gets. But YTV yeah. like you mentioned chance was a lot of people's introduction to Japanese animation. Totally, totally. Especially with it had to be like the intro to um, like Dragon Ball and mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Z for so many people. Certainly like it me. was it was the way to go. And and there was even a show that I, I didn't mention, but Yu-Gi-Oh! played on YTV. Yes. And that was another one where it's like, you Must know, watch. really, really shaped. And, and we're even going to talk about a couple of the more obscure ones as well, which I'm excited for. But anyways. Yes. So I just wrote down a list of various things, but realistically, if we're if we're talking about like the earliest kind of animated program that had any kind of real purchase on YTV, it was actually Reboot, which started in 1994 yep. and was a pioneering uh, show for a lot of reasons, but mostly for the use of computer animation. And the amount of gay kids that have Reboot tattoos is <laughs> nuts. <nutso. laughs> and so Reboot. Like- was also the rare CanCon crossover where in the early seasons it aired on NBC. Like this was a oh, cool. big, big show. I imagine, it cost them, I imagine it cost them a lot to make it. If oh you look at God. the animation now, obviously it looks, it looks quaint. Yeah. <laughs> it looks really bad. Yeah. But at the time, that stuff costs so much money. And I'm going to talk about some more conventional animation and how much it costs episode by episode later. But yeah, Reboot was an extremely expensive program. Mm. And at the same time, it was a pretty inventive one. Like the entire premise being that it takes place like inside a computer. And it's this 
it was like the real trendsetter for like the digital age where it's like, oh, what hap- what would happen if there were like civilizations inside your computer and yeah. every episode had, you know, uh, this. And it was it was very clearly geared towards that younger age range because every episode had like a GameCube. That's what they called them before the GameCube existed that would come down and like challenge people in the city. And if you lost, it would just delete huge chunks of the city. Yeah, it was, it was great. Awesome. <clears throat> it was ridiculous. And it was a huge hit. And it was so beloved that in 2018, they had a reboot reboot called The Guardian's Code that was partially live action, which was universally trashed and is terrible. I can imagine. Just leave it. Mm -hmm. So laying dogs lie or whatever the phrase is. And the other big thing that in 1994, they also got the Spider-Man animated series, like the 90s one, which is crazy. But that's not really CanCon, so I'm not going to talk about it much. Mm -hmm. However, two years later, we saw... The next evolution in computerized animation, which is the simply dreadful monster by mistake. Why would you say it was dreadful? You can watch every single episode on YouTube and it Uh is not even the animation. I don't blame the animation for it. I just blame the fact that this show is beyond belief. It's about a a, a boy who is tricked by a goblin. I, oh I yeah! Completely forgot. So oh, he's he's tricked fuck. by a goblin into using a cursed <laughs> gem that turns him into basically Sully from Monsters Inc. Yeah, like a like he just looks like a big Play-Doh monster. Yes. Uh, the theme song is all you need to hear. We won't play it here because it will be stuck in your head forever, and I don't want that on my conscience. But Monster by Mistake is extremely cursed. I cannot... It's like, if you were to obliterate your mind with, like, weed and edibles mm-hmm. and shit, you might actually enjoy it, because it's just so bizarre. But, uh, yeah, that was a big big thing for YTV. They played it endlessly, because it's CanCon. But let's, yeah. you know what, skip all that. Because now, in the late 1990s, we see the anime explosion. Woo! Let's go. And, and that starts with, in 1997, Dragon Ball Z. Yep, yep, yep. And we're going to talk about Dragon Ball Z again with Teletoon, because people don't remember this. But for YTV, Dragon Ball Z becomes an immediate hit. Like, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Oh, it was huge. Yep. And so big, in fact, that the following year, they decide they're also going to bring Dragon Ball over. So y- you started with the sequel series, and then half, like <laughs> halfway through the first year of its run, they introduced the first series, and it very much confused me and many other kids at the time. So yeah, they stopped playing it for a while. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really like... I couldn't follow because no. at the time, most series, especially if there were like original IP from YTV, it was sequential. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball has such like a huge time skip that it was like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Did I do I know these characters? Who so, are these people? Literally what happened is they aired a couple episodes of Dragon Ball. And for the record, Dragon Ball is a delightful series. And I really do recommend you watch it. It's like so fun and so mm-hmm. cute. Mm-hmm. And it's got some awesome, like genuinely amazing action in it. But they aired it, yes, concurrently with Dragon Ball Z. People got so confused that they stopped airing Dragon Ball and waited basically until Dragon Ball Z was almost done to start airing it again. Yeah. So <laughs> it says in your list, like 2003 to 2005, that, yeah. that would have been the time I was watching that. Exactly. And then, of course, further complicating things. In 2003, right around the time Dragon Ball was airing, they started airing Dragon Ball GT, while Dragon Ball Z reruns were also still airing. Yeah, I was going to say, it was literally so much <laughs> Dragon Ball. But it was 
It's because everyone was watching it. Like mm-hmm. it was very popular. It's just of so funny. You're to just me. gonna go with it. They went to the well so frequently. As oh, yeah. this is going on. So like late 1990s. Yes, big thing. The other big kind of like twin jewel in the crown of YTV was the Pokemon anime. Yep, and that's oh, yeah. another one that was obviously like everywhere. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Squirtle Squad for life. Uh, those early episodes are just etched into my subconscious. Yeah. Now, we've got... So, like, when it comes to the anime imports, you have, like, Dragon Ball. That's number one. Pokemon, like, right up next to it. And with the success of that, of course, they're like, well, we need more of this shit. Kids are going wild for the Japanimation. So, they start bringing in different series in the following years, including, and this is where I'm going to have our first music drop for the day, the spinning top styled series, Beyblade, which received a... (laughs) Sorry, I had to cut you off, but like... I like it. The song What did it it receive? An English dub theme song, which you're going to hear the lyrics to right now. Fade that out. Fade that out. So we were going to play it the whole rest of the show. The Beyblade theme song is one of my personal favorite ridiculous English dub theme songs. And I have compiled a couple here. Because, and one of my biggest enduring memories is they had the band that did that song on the zone to perform it live one day. (laughs) Who's the band? I have no idea, but they're like, it it was just like the singer. And like he oh, okay. played guitar, they're like the guy who did the Beyblade theme song is gonna be on the zone singing his smash hit, the Beyblade theme song. <laughs> and it was just this guy with like fringe bangs, just like fucking going crazy on the guitar. Oh, I love that. So it started with like Beyblade, and Beyblade was actually would eventually become one of the tent poles for YTV. Like they still have Beyblade series airing today. Yeah, Beyblade was the purpose, the 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 perfect symbi- symbiotic relationship between uh, toy manufacturers and cartoons. Yes, like because unlike Mobile Suit Gundam or any of the Gundam stuff, <laughs> where those things can be really expensive, like Beyblades are so cheap to make. Like you you don't need anything, and and so it just got huge, right? And like everyone was playing Beyblades, and everyone had like a, a friend who had an arena. It was great. Got banned from every school. Pretty. I much. was gonna say Beyblades were immediately banned alongside Yu Gi Oh cards <laughs> for us. But yeah. Beyblade was like a big deal. And once again, it was pretty successful on the network. So they started branching out. They brought in other series, uh, including, of course, Inuyasha, which we've discussed. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, along the same times that Fox Kids brought it over, YTV also aired the much maligned English dub of One Piece. <laughs> which, <laughs> of course, mean? has... I mean, start as you mean to go on the One Piece rap. Now, One Piece is still running and is beloved in Japan, but the English dub was so bad. They basically ran one season and then never touched it again. (laughs) Let's hear hear that One Piece rap. People have to know. All right. All right. There was a man named Gold Roger who was king of the pirates. He had fame, power, and wealth. This is a big staple. (laughs) Before they hung him from the gallows, these were the final words he said. My fortune is yours for the taking, but you'll have to find it first. I left everything I own in one piece. Ever since, pirates from all over the world set sail for the Grand Line, searching for one piece, the treasure that would make their dreams come true. (laughs) 
Yo! Yo! Don't give it up so long. Don't give it up, Nami. Oh, Nami. Don't give it up, Nami. Yeah, okay. No more of this. So, so I have I have never heard that. Really? I didn't watch One Piece. Oh man, you don't like watch the Japanese one. Don't bother with the English one. That's that's all I but will I say. Kinda, I kind of liked that. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the worst dub song, but it was certainly not the best. Now, you got lots of lots of anime. And anime, once again, still not quite as big as it was, because now there's a much, obviously, wider proliferation of anime. Like, it is an accepted part of Western media now. Like, it's a juggernaut. But it's important to note, like, how groundbreaking it was, certainly in Canada, YTV having these programs on. I think it really did break through and reach millions of people that otherwise would have had no idea what this was. Because before that, before syndication, you had to, like, trade tapes to get fucking anime, and you'd get some really wild shit, like fan dubs and all sorts of just I was going to say... it's crazy. I've had this conversation many times, but the difficulty of securing anime, um, especially in like the late nineties, early two thousands added up to the reason why people make fun of weebs. Whereas, whereas now, because like you had to do work, right? Like you had to be invested. You had to spend tons of money and do a lot of work and digging. Whereas now it's so easy to grab. Like, I feel like people don't rip on weebs much anymore. Like it's, it's pretty much like, a given that somebody would have like a crunchy roll or a Funimation account. Mm-hmm. And um, I think like the kids just like eat, eat it up. Right. Oh, like it's anime. not, it's not a weird thing to get into anymore, man. Like working in schools, anime is ubiquitous with especially kids in that like nine to 15 age range. It's huge. Yeah. Like it's everywhere. So YTV, we've, we've talked at length about it. I have uh before I go into my little send off about kind of what happened to it. Do you have any final thoughts on YTV before we switch over to Teletoon? We, we hit return on the remote and go back to the other thing we were watching. Well, can we please discuss the zone? Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. I would be remiss. Now, The Zone, as we talked about earlier, pretty classic format of having live action people throw to whatever program was next. Sometimes they have musical guests, cool. like the yeah, Beyblade guy. It's literally like a DJ, um, except with programs. And it yeah. was super cool. And they ran occasionally storylines when they needed to replace one PJ and bring in a new one. And perhaps exactly. the most infamous, both for its delivery, but also because the fact that person they brought in lasted for so long was the who has been breaking into the zone late at night storyline yes yeah you gotta it was almost like a goodwill hunting type yeah. story people were <laughs> some some random feller was breaking in and it was the host sugar beard who is yep. still lovely lovely young woman uh follow mm-hmm. her on instagram they were trying Please. to figure out who was breaking in so they set a trap and what did they discover, Chance? Who was the person breaking into the Zone studio? Uh, well, they found uh, the janitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, this janitor's but- name, for the record, folks, is Carlos Bustamante. <laughs> Uh, Why'd you have to say it like that? Latin Canadian young man playing the role of a sleepy janitor. Yeah, he would use the zone in order to, the set of the zone to take naps and fall asleep. He didn't think anyone, the room with all the cameras was the safest (laughs) place to go. So people wouldn't notice that he was napping on the job. Yes, so ITV did very famously run a storyline that ended with a stereotype of a Mexican-Canadian man as a sleepy janitor who became yeah. the eventual host. 
and I he's love. and this is no no lie like he's a fantastic host oh he's great he's he very very good for it's 17 just hilarious. years yeah. it's just hilarious how they introed him <laughs> carlos is my favorite host and he once again was there until like 2018 sugar's my favorite host and i bet you can't guess why because <clears throat> she's got ugu aga milk yeah it's because she's really cute <laughs> and she does voice acting apparently she's a very sweet woman yeah yeah i so, bet she's a canadian queen the zone still part of the ytv program lineup to this very day Crazy. 30 years later wild now ytv clear identity mostly for kids early adolescents and you had programming that matched that you would have mm-hmm. like really uh fast paced like interstitials with the zone where it's just like super, quick two minute segments introducing the next show super fast super goopy very mm-hmm. like 90s like the 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 children's grunge type stuff where it's mm-hmm. like you know you got very industrial sets and 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 you know kind of dirty very very vibrant colors Things like that. Yeah. And it was also, of course, going alongside some of that live action programming, which was always quite off-putting or odd. You had mm-hmm. yep, the various waves of anime, especially that first wave in the late 1990s, which we discussed how important that was. Obviously, as the decades went on, it became less integral to their programming block because you had the rise of things like Crunchyroll and like the Funimation website where you could have access to all the anime you want. Yeah, exactly. And something similar actually kind of happens with YTV's contemporary. And notice how I don't say rival. I say contemporary because both YTV and Teletoon are owned by Chorus Entertainment. Yeah, they were not uh, in competition with each other whatsoever. And that's why, especially once the 2000s hit, they had a much more coherent plan between the two. Now, Chorus Entertainment also owns a lot of TV and radio stations, including the TV and radio stations here in town, not named CFRC. Uh, So they own 104.3 and 96.3. They also own like CKWS and Global here in Kingston. Mm -hmm. So uh, CFRC is clean, though. Yep, that's the only ones you can trust. We're the only ones that aren't going to put subliminal gay messaging. It's very liminal for us. <laughs> you should have sex with somebody of the same identified gender as you. Duh. Uh, and if you don't, you're probably gay. <laughs> yeah, you're done. That's it. We're finished with you. So Teletoon starts actually years, like almost 10 years after YTV. 1997. They conspire. They're like, okay, we are... Or sorry, not 1997. That's the older one. Uh, No, it starts around the same period of like the early 1990s, but there's not much in the way of original programming then. It's mostly just like cartoons, old ones and syndication. Yeah, it's like Cartoon Network, but Mm -hmm. uh, what they could license for Canada. Exactly. In 1997, they do start to see original programming get added in and it's all baby shit. (laughs) What do you mean? So 1997, Teletoon added four shows and I'm going to go in a bit of a different order here. They had Paddington bear. Yeah. They had something called Ned's newt. Would you say something called that as yeah. if I, I never watched, watched that. <laughs> I watched that so much. Who up playing with Ned's newt. <laughs> I watched so much Ned's newt. I don't even know what it is. They had Pippi Longstocking, a show that terrified me as a child. Why was she so strong? Why was she was strong? Pippi- yes. Pippi Longstocking was like the daughter of some like red haired Norwegian freak. And it was just like, oh, yeah, you could lift a horse up. And it was actually a TV movie before it was a series. And the TV movie had Catherine O'Hara as and this is so funny to me, an evil social worker. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that is funny. The whole thing being she's like, this child should not be living in this gigantic house by themselves. (laughs) That was the plot. And then eventually her pillaging, raping father returns and they set sail. 
And then she says, oh, no, good. I want to stay in the house. So her father leaves. And then they have the TV series. Uh, <laughs> but of course, perhaps most infamously, 1997 was the year that Teletoon blighted the world with Caillou. Now, what's why is he bald? Yeah. Now, why I, is he I bald? I must ask, why is he bald? Uh, I will say Caillou did give us the greatest voice clip of all time, which is him going, oh, yes, daddy. Which oh, I, I do send yep. a lot. But yep. you can thank Teletoon for that. 1998. Uh, they commission the show Flying Rhino Junior High. Sick show. Which I you watched a little not, bit of. You better not bash that show. That I don't remember show. having any negative feelings about it. It's it just fine. Okay, good. Now, 1997 into early 1998, Teletoon also ran 13 episodes of Dragon Ball Z. Woo! And only 13 episodes. Is because they were, yeah, it wasn't the spot. It didn't know? work out. So Teletoon it's, actually ran it first. <laughs> Teletoon didn't have the it didn't have the sauce at the no, time. No. People went to YTV for its weird grossness. Teletoon did not have that yet. No. It it just wasn't it, was it too didn't clean. really have its its footing yet. No, it was like we're animation, but it was like it was clean stuff. However, in 1999, you do start to see a shift. Now, 1999, they their biggest hit at the time is Rescue Heroes, which show honestly Yes, it's for babies. Kind of slaps. I'm not going to lie to you. Rescue Heroes goes hard. Oh, yeah. Rescue Heroes was awesome. Now, Rescue Heroes, uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a joke I'm going to share. During my time in high school, one day during... Uh, I think it was like 11th grade history. Uh, me and two of my friends decided to like watch Rescue Heroes like on his phone with like the old YouTube app when it was still a TV as like the the icon for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we found one random episode and there's a rescue hero named Rocky who is an African-American man. And uh, my friend who is also black said, that's how you could. And like in this episode, Rocky is like trying to help drowning victims. He's like swimming. And mm-hmm. my friend famously remarked, that's how you can tell the show is fake because they wouldn't have a brother swimming. <laughs> I, That's so funny. I laughed so that hard. That should have been in the show. I like, I, I had to leave the classroom. He's just like, he was literally just like sitting there, like watching it over our shoulders, just shaking his head. He's like, nah, yeah, there's so I, no way. I had a good laugh at that. Rescue Heroes, though, like legitimately was a huge, like probably the biggest hit for Teletoon at the time. Like it was a yeah, big it, deal. There was like a bunch of like cereal box games mm-hmm. that were Rescue Heroes toys. themed. And, like, the toys were a thing. Yeah. It was it was a big part of me growing up. And you know, even though it was yes, mostly geared towards a younger audience, it was pretty cool. Like you had like fucking sweet. transforming shit, you had action, you had all sorts of stuff in it. So it did appeal to a slightly older audience, but throughout 1999, Teletoon would start introducing programming. And we're talking about the kids programming mostly right now. I'll talk about the older stuff as well, but mostly the kids programming started to skew a bit older. You had Redwall, the Brian Jock book that was converted into a TV series. Pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Don't have a lot of memories of it, but I remember liking it. You had the introduction of new tales from the Crypt Keeper. Huh? So mm. that's the, we talked about that. Yep. That one was all right. It was, it was fun. It was sweet. I like However, that show. the show I really want to dedicate a bit of time to talking about because it is actually a joint Canadian-Japanese production is one that I think has been kind of forgotten by history, and I, I feel that is a genuine shame. In 1999, Teletoon was, alongside Fox in the U.S., the first network to air a 13-episode run of a little show called Cyber Six. Chance, have you ever heard of this beyond the little music I've sent you? No, I've literally never heard of this. Okay. So I was surprised. You, you you sent me the music, and then I was like, I was like, I don't, I psh, this this doesn't ring a bell whatsoever. And that, you know what, is actually pretty understandable because for reasons we'll discuss, the show really didn't 
make much of an impact, but that's a genuine shame. So I'm going to set the scene for you. And then I want you to play the intro so people understand kind mm. of how different the show was. Okay. So Cyber Six is based on an Italian Argentine comic from the 1990s. So mm-hmm. already a, a weird combination there by two no. men named Carlos. That's regular. One Italian and one Argentine, which once again <laughs> adds to the comedy. And Cyber Six is about a gynoid. I learned that's a phrase. That's a female android specifically. Whoa. Okay. So I just Googled this, the images for the show. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Did I watch this? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Whoa. Okay. So Sorry. the comic Sorry. is all about, and this is like perfect. You're going to think I made this up, but I swear this is true. The comic is literally about a Nazi scientist who fled to Argentina after World War II, made a bunch of creations, continuing his experiments he did in the camps, one of which was Cyber Six. And it's all about her trying to kill this guy because he is an evil Nazi. And the um, show... They're really telling on themselves, eh? Yeah, well, no, that's the thing. The creators were like, <laughs> this shit is horrible. Like, this is happening in Argentina. And what's really interesting is the comic goes back and forth between having some progressive ideas, especially about like sexuality, gender, and who the real heroes of society are. And then mm-hmm. also just straight up showing most of the characters completely naked for like 80% of each I was going to say, whatever you do, folks, do not look up no. Cyber 6 on Google. No. Um, it's so, beautiful. I mean, it's horrendous. Cyber 6 herself is this tall, slender, dark-haired woman who is a android uh, who wears leather dominatrix outfit, which is also very much intentional because in the comics, essentially she is like a friend to sex workers and gets her outfit from a sex worker. That's cool. And she's like all the heroes in the comic and in the TV show are like downtrodden members of society, like street youth and fucking like teachers. And of course the enemy is the Nazi scientist who's extremely rich and like lives in a castle. (laughs) So this is pretty heavy subject matter to adapt for a children's television network, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's also super sexualized. Yes. Which like you can't really get away from that. No. And rightfully the show, show does a pretty good job of sanitizing that as much as they can. Now the show was a joint production between basically uh, fucking Teletoon and TMS animation, which is this massive animation studio in Japan. Like they have done everything that there is to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean everything from like the fucking 1980s till today, they're still cranking shit out like hundreds upon hundreds of anime. And it explains why it is such a beautifully drawn and like animated show. Also extremely expensive. $360,000 US to produce an episode. Whoa, God damn. They did such a good job though. Like if you look at the stills, like it's beautiful. And the executive producer, there's a Japanese one and the Canadian one. It was Herve Bedard. So this was a Quebec produced English language adaptation of an Italian Argentine comic. And it's set in like this fictionalized part of Argentina. The music done by Robbie Finkel is all like inspired by different instruments from around the world. We're going to play for you the intro song in just a second, which is sung by Montreal based jazz singer and pianist Coral Egan. This is just a fantastic, weird mix of like culture and mishmash and i want to play the intro song and the closing song because they are beautiful and they really kind of show you compare and contrast this for instance to beyblade and you can see the direction teletude was going versus their contemporaries right right oh yeah it really goes crazy this is sick i know Should I play the 
intro. And then, so next, so that's the intro. And then in the Japanese tradition, they have a much more kind of sedate outro song that I think is actually even better. <laughs> Where are you going to hear this on children's TV? Yeah, that's crazy. This is so nice. It's beautiful. That Juno award-winning much... Coral Egan, by the way. Also, shout out, she is struggling with Julian Barr disease and uh, has still been trying to make music, even though it's like... So, shout out to Coral Egan. Fantastic Juno award winner. I just wanted to highlight that, because Teletoon, beyond their children's programming, also had a very rich lineup of like adult-oriented television. Uh, this is this is where I really shine. Yes, and this is what a lot of my biggest memories are. Throughout the 1990s, they had American-made things such as The Critic, which was you know uh, John Lovett's weird thing. Uh, they they were the first network in Canada to play Family Guy. They had things like Futurama. Of course, uh, 2001. They have a Canadian-produced thing called Undergrads, also about yep. 13 episodes that almost nobody remembers. Worth mm-hmm. checking out, though. They also had stuff like quads and home movies, which was shocking to see at the time because it's such a weird, home, like, off-putting animation style. Home movies is so good. And even quads it, is, like, pretty transgressive and interesting. Uh, also, Cyber 6, all about, like, my, my trans homies, check it out. It's a female android who takes a male identity and struggles with her aspects of identity. It, it, it's beautiful. It's like so much ahead of its time. It's kind of shocking. Uh, Some of the other Teletoon like adult ones were were like the precursors to Adult Swim kind of thing. Interesting you mentioned that because as Adult Swim was kind of taking off in the US, Teletoon Detour, that was the late night programming block, literally just took some of their most successful programs and started airing them in Canada, to which they had fantastic success. Things like Space Ghost Coast to Coast, Aqua Teen yep. Hunger Force. That's how Aqua I was Teen introduced Hunger Force. to it. Yep, totally. Robot Har- Chicken. Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Mm-hmm, Both mm-hmm. Venture Brothers and the much less well-known Frisky Dingo, which was the precursor yep. to Venture Brothers. And they were finding huge amounts of success. But kind of like how the proliferation of anime ended up costing YTV, the creation of Adult Swim Canada really cost Teletoon because all of those properties then transferred over to the Canadian feed of Adult Swim, which left Teletoon Detour, the late night adult oriented block, so decimated that they would end up folding it. (laughs) So it doesn't exist, Teletoon Detour. Teletoon still exists. But a lot of their more like weird, especially adult-oriented programming is no longer airing on the station, which I think is a shame because much it, like how YTV introduced me to anime, that introduced a lot of people to the concept of like adult animation, which for better or worse, yeah. you could say the genre, you know, has certainly got its problems and it's oversaturated. But Teletoon played a big role in bringing that into a much more modern kind of Canadian context. And in addition to all of that, yeah, there's 100%. tons. I, Go ahead. I remember staying up late to watch Xavier the Renegade Angel. Oh my God. Like when that was airing. And that's and, a fantastic show. And in addition to this, there was, of course, lots of like Canadian animation for younger audiences. A couple quick hitters. You had 16, which I think was great. I remember really enjoying that. You had Totally Spies, which was obviously a huge hit. And is still like beloved by people. Uh, one I'll just highlight quickly was What's with Andy, which was like a prankster centered animated show that was liberal in its use of the R word, which. Uh, Ooh, cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. What is with Andy? Damn. You can watch all of What's With Andy on YouTube. It's interesting. But Teletoon, like, I think Teletoon had a much more interesting kind of identity than YTV. YTV was very consistent in who they were shooting for, which was, like, young adults to early adolescent, like, that young adult, early adolescent kind of... Uh, programming block, whereas Teletoon was literally all over the place. This is a network that would run Caillou during the day and shit like, yeah, fucking Xavier Renegade Angel at night. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it was You would weird. get whiplash. <laughs> and I think it's a shame that it doesn't exist in quite that same capacity because Teletoon was much more willing to take risks with programming that YTV was not. And I do think it's sad that we don't have something like that really anymore. Right. YTV's whole thing was essentially trying to be slightly edgy, but nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Teletoon went from zero to 1,000. In literally two years. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. As culture escalated, so too did Teletoon. And you got all sorts of like weird shit on there. It was, although on its surface a baby network for babies. Uh, It really went to weird places and was willing to take strange risks. And I I salute them for that. And now as we approach the end, remember that Chorus Entertainment owns Teletoon and YTV, as well as all sorts of local news stations. So Chance, I want you to pitch very quickly a show to me involving any Chorus Entertainment properties. And I will say I have been on CKWS a few times, so I do qualify for this. So you can choose. Wait, you, you want me to pitch a show to you? Yeah, just anything involving any set of characters. You can take like Dilbert. You can take uh, Doubting okay. Dave from Mystery Hunters. No, okay. So I got a show. It's called the, the, the Threesome, and it's Ooh. um, it's it's uh, Nicholas Pickles, oh. Doubting Dave, <laughs> okay. and uh, and Mister Yahoo himself. Oh, uh, Week Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, and um, we just see where it goes. It's essentially Survivor. Ooh. Okay. But uh, maybe it gets a little saucy near the end of it. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. So I'd you're like implying that. that these three, assume, well, in Nicholas Puklis's case, definitely straight men are going to potentially engage in sexual shenanigans. Now, when is this show going think, to air? Is this a television like morning block? Or is this yeah, yeah. Detour so, style? so this is, no, this is like you get your Caillou fix and then you watch yeah. the threesome. Yeah. And it, it's called yeah. the threesome. Just to, just it's to called clear the threesome, up. but yeah, nothing is guaranteed, right? Like it's not explicitly sexual. It's just kind of you know whatever. Well, let's happens, just say, happens. let's just say, um, nobody's really that straight. That's the tagline. Okay, and just yeah. to reiterate, this is airing after Caillou at like nine a.m. after on Caillou Tuesday in the morning. Yeah, I think that will uh, not be allowed to air at that time. But okay. I respect you taking a risk. No, well, I'm a visionary. So mm-hmm. I get it. I, I understand that you can't see what I'm seeing, but uh, yeah, whatever. Fine. Okay. I think, I think my show, uh, I would have the rescue heroes, all of them. And they're shirtless. So to start with shirtless rescue heroes, I'm going to be in it. And it's funny. We kind of had a similar idea for a show. It's me, the shirtless rescue heroes, Goku, uh, Yvonne of the Yukon, and mm-hmm. I'm going to say, yeah, Doubting Dave from Mystery Hunters. Did and you say you're shirtless? Yeah, everybody's shirtless. So everybody on the show will be shirtless. And it's kind of like Big Brother, where we're all in one house together. And it right. is a reality-style show. And mm-hmm. it's like every week we have uh-oh-style challenges to see who gets eliminated. So the Punisher yeah. is going to be involved with it in his weird. But he's also shirtless. Mask. Well, yeah, except for his gimp mask will be on, and his leather pants will be on. It's just no shirt. 
And, uh, you know, it'll all, all the questions will be related to early 2000s Canadian uh, animated media. Oh my God. You're going to have an aneurysm. That's right. And uh, (laughs) hell, you know what? Let's let's get Cyber Six in there, but they can choose to keep their shirt on if they want because I want to respect their right to live in whatever body they feel most comfortable with. But at the same time, if they took it off, that'd be kind of cool. It would be cool. Uh, I also think it's funny that in Cyber Six, they explicitly take the identity of a dead Jewish teacher to fight this Nazi. So <laughs> once again, this, awesome. show, this show's sick. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, I gotta yeah, revisit my, that. My show will be a reality based big brother uh, style television show. And it's going to be called cousins because uh, Goku is my cousin all of these shirtless rescue heroes are my cousins. So nothing shady is going to go on vis-a-vis busting it down sexual style. But I'm going to certainly enjoy myself in this house unless I get eliminated in week one, which is very possible. All right, Jesse. Thank you for this. Yeah. I hope uh, our listeners enjoyed uh, a little trip down Memorial Lane. Uh, R.I.P. Teletoon Detour. R.I.P. Carlos Bustamante as host of The Zone. Uh, we would love to have Shook's him on still as a kicking, third though. night. Yep, she's in L.A. She does acting now. She has a hot husband. Hell yeah, yeah. she'll get it. That's right. And if any of the YTV personalities hear this, uh, you're welcome. Please come on our show. You can replace the anti-Semitic Megan and Dean who have still not denounced Kanye West. And Kanye, if you want to come on the show, this is an open <laughs> invite. We will have... <laughs> Oh, we wow. can talk about whatever you want. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. All right. Anything. Anything. <laughs> Peace out, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.